this and be able to sing praises to God and to worship Him. It's good to be around Christians. It's good to be able to, to begin the week around like-minded individuals. And I want to compliment all of you that are here today. I'll make it a priority for you to be here. I know sometimes getting up on a Sunday morning, getting ready for a church service is not always the easiest thing to do. I know if you have children and you're trying to get them ready, that's a challenge. I know even sitting through an hour-long church service and trying to keep the kids quiet is sometimes a challenge. But I feel you on that. I know that it, it's difficult at times that you are doing a good work. You are setting a great example, and, and I'm just glad that we're able to be here today. This morning, I want to begin our, our sermon time, and we'll, we'll move kind of quickly this morning. I know that um, services sometimes run a little bit long and things, and I wanted to make sure that doesn't happen today. But, you know, there's kind of a movement out there in the world, and it's not a new movement, but it's a movement toward, you know, healthy eating or clean eating and that kind of idea. You know, the idea that we need to be eating organic or, or all natural foods and things like that, and I'm sure all of us would agree that, that that's a good idea to eat healthily and, and, and things like that. We all know that TV dinners and chicken nuggets and, and things like that aren't always the most healthy thing. We understand that, and sometimes the convenience factor of it, and Sometimes the chicken nuggets taste good, and you know we we go along that line. But we understand that it's foods that aren't really that natural, foods that have a lot of chemicals and preservatives in them, are not always the best for us. But at the same time, just because something is natural doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for you either. Butter, from what I understand, is pretty natural. You take like heavy whipping cream and shake it up; a bunch of turns into butter. You eat a whole gallon of butter, that's all natural, and it's still not that good for you, right? I mean, you're not going to be feeling too good after that. Lard, right? Lard, pig fat, that's natural. You eat a bucket of lard, that's not going to be the most healthy thing, right? You even take, like, fruits and vegetables. One apple is good for you. Eat an entire bushel of apples, you're probably going to have a tummy ache, right? So just because something is natural does not necessarily mean that it's healthy. And I know that we like to think sometimes, well, well, this is an organic snack, so it's healthy, so I'm going to eat, you know, one serving, two serving, three serving, four serving. And all of a sudden we're like, well, I shouldn't have ate that much. I've consumed 4,000 calories, but it was all natural. Well, even then it's not always the best for us. Just because something is natural doesn't mean that it's good for you. And really along the same lines, just because something is normal, and let's take a behavior for an example. Just because a behavior seems to be natural or just because a behavior seems to be normal does not mean that it is right or that it's healthy. You know, your normal, natural response when someone makes you upset is to lash out in violence and, and rage. Just because that's your normal, natural inclination doesn't necessarily mean that that is a healthy or good behavior. No one would say that lashing out in a violent rage and attacking somebody just because they cut you off in traffic is a natural and normal or at least a healthy behavior. It might be your natural way of responding. It might be your normal, but it doesn't mean that it's good. We have a lot of natural desires, inclinations, and needs and things, and, and some of those are good, but some of those, when fulfilled, can be leading us into unhealthy and sinful behavior. Here's what I mean by that. Turn your Bible to the book of James. James chapter 1, and I want to start reading in verse 12. 
James chapter 1, and this is a, a letter written um, by the Apostle James to Christians in the first century, Christians that are dealing with some of the same struggles that we deal with, struggles with how do you, you know, how does the church reach out to the poor? How do you deal with various temptations? How do you handle, you know, superficial religion and self-righteousness and all those kinds of things? Well, in James chapter 1 and in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. And we understand that. You know, you make it through temptation, maybe there's temptations being thrown at you in your life. You get through those temptations, you're going to be better because of it. You're going to be blessed because of it. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved or when he has been tried, depending on your translation, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. So you make it through temptation, you endure, you stand firm, crown of life is waiting for you in the, in the end. Wonderful, right? Well, here's what he says, though. He says, let no one say, when I am tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So the temptation that we have is not coming from God. It's not, God doesn't tempt you, and God cannot be tempted himself. But where does the temptation come from? And I like the way the New King James words this here. It says, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So the temptation comes from within. It's something we desire. It's something that, that we crave, right? So each one is tempted when his or her cravings or desires pull them away and entice them. And that desire, when it is conceived, when it grows, what does it do? Well, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And in fact, in verse 16, right after that, it says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. See, we have a tendency to deceive ourselves into thinking that, well, if I desire something, if, if, if I crave something, your version might say, if I have a lust for something, then, well, that's okay. Because that's who I am. That's natural for me. That's normal for me. That's how I respond in any particular situation. Desire by itself isn't bad. Desire is natural. God has created us with all sorts of desires. And they're natural desires and they're not inherently bad. I mean, we have a desire for food. That is a good desire. If you don't eat, you're going to die. I mean, I'm not a scientist, but I pretty much understand that. I have children. I know I'm supposed to feed my children, right? If I don't feed them, they're not going to last very long. So we have a, a, a natural, normal desire for food. That's a good desire to have. But that desire can become all-consuming. That desire can take us into the sinful realm when we head toward gluttony where we become preoccupied by, by food. We, we crave it. It consumes us, not we consuming it anymore, right? Where, you know, we can't control ourselves. We don't have self-control. Gluttony is a sin, right? We understand. Desire for food, eating isn't bad. It's good to eat. You know, it's even fine to eat for enjoyment. You know, they did that in Jesus' time. That's fine. But when the desire for food becomes all-consuming, that's a problem. Think about desire for fluids. You need to drink, you know. It's good to have refreshing liquids and things like that. That's fine. But when that desire for liquid leads itself to drunkenness, that's a problem. Same way for physical intimacy. We have a natural, normal desire for intimacy. 
in a physical sense, right? We understand that. That's natural. That's normal. We have, you know, we're attracted to people, right? That's that's normal. That's natural. But fornication, sexual immorality, that is an unhealthy fulfillment of a natural desire. A natural desire is that desire for physical intimacy, but God has said, here's where you can be intimate, you know, within marriage and all of that. And outside of that, well, that's a fulfillment of a desire that is not healthy. It's not good. It is sinful. Desire is natural, but sometimes the way we fulfill certain desires is unnatural. And you see, here's what we do, though. We have a tendency to try to justify are different behaviors because we say, well, it's just normal to do a certain thing. It's normal for a person to to sleep around. It's normal for a person to view pornography. It's normal for a person to, you know, live together with boyfriend, girlfriend, all that kind of stuff before they're married. We say, well, that's normal. Just because something is normal, just because that might even be a natural inclination for that behavior does not mean that it's justifiable. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We're going to walk through a passage here just for a few moments. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What you find going on here in Corinth, and if you ever want an example of what you shouldn't be doing, turn your book to 1 Corinthians. There's a lot of things that these Christians are doing that are wrong. Luckily, we can learn from their example, but sadly, we follow in their footsteps sometimes. In Corinth, and this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Christians in Corinth, Some people in Corinth were saying that it is just normal and it's natural to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Basically, if you have a desire, it's okay. Kind of sounds a lot like our world today, right? I mean, hey, if it makes you feel good, it makes you happy, go ahead and do it. That's what they were doing back then. It's not anything new. The idea of being consumed by desire isn't something that we've just invented in in the last, you know, 50, 100 years, right? So it was going on back then. And if you look in verse 12, actually, let's back up a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So he lists all these different sins right here. A lot of them sexual in nature is what he's dealing with here. And he says, you do these things, you're not going to go to heaven. But then he says, verse 11, such were some of you. They used to engage in those behaviors. That was their old life. He says, such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So he says, there was a change that took place. You were saved, right, is what we were talking about here. They were born again. Salvation happened, they were changed, and they've moved on from that lifestyle. Or at least they were supposed to have moved on from those lifestyles. But what happens is a lot of us, we become Christians, and those desires that we had before Christ, they're still there. Right? I mean, desire doesn't just go away. You know, if you've made it a habit to live a life of promiscuity prior to becoming a Christian, that's going to be a pull back into it, right? I mean, it's a given. If you were, you know, an, uh, a drug user, a, a drunk, or something like that before you become a Christian, there's still going to be that desire there. It's foolish to think that it's not going to be there. Well, that's what was going on here in Corinth. They came out of that sinful background, but the pull was still there. 
seems, according to the text here, that some of them were going back into that behavior, a sinful behavior, a fleshly behavior. It was their desire. It was their natural. It was their normal mode of operation. They weren't changing like they were supposed to. So what Paul does is here's what he tells them in verse 12. He says it's not justifiable. He says all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You need to control your desires, he's saying, instead of letting your desires control you. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. See, they were saying, well, look, my body craves this kind of inappropriate relationship. My body craves, you know, this intimacy. And they're saying it's natural. It's normal. Paul is saying, no, your body is not designed for sexual immorality. That's not what it's designed for. What is it designed for, Paul? He says, designed for God. Look at verse 15. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. He's illustrating it here. This is what happens when you leave God and go into sin. You're basically committing adultery is what he's saying. Now, they physically were actually committing adultery, but the same illustration here. Verse 16. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh, but the one who joins himself with the Lord is one spirit with him. So you got a choice. Join yourself with God or join yourself with sin. You join yourself with sin. You don't want to do that because you're one body with sin. But you join yourself with God. That's what you want to do. Here's the conclusion, verse 18. He says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. He says, look, you came out of that lifestyle. You became a Christian. Why are you going back into it? Why are you going back to that old way of living? Why are you giving into that old mode of operation? Why are you allowing your desires to control you? Don't do that. He says, flee from that. And then in verse 19 and 20, he shows how important it is to live a pure and godly life. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. They were saying, hey, my body, it just has these natural urges, and i got to fulfill them. He's saying, no, your body's supposed to be a temple for God. Your body's supposed to be used for him. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Why would you allow sin to corrupt the temple where the Spirit dwells? That's what he's saying. When you go back into that old lifestyle, when you go back into an immoral lifestyle, that it's like you're defiling the very temple where God dwells. That's how serious this situation is. Now, these are Christians here. They should know better. We should know better. But what happens? We give in to various desires that we have, and we try to, uh, you know, tell ourselves that it's okay, it's normal, it's all natural, and what are we doing? We're going back into the sin that we came out of when we became Christians. This is a problem. This is a problem because all around us in our world today, we are just bombarded with 
with different images, with different, you know, forms of media that tell us that, that immorality is okay. It's okay. You think about all the different inappropriate images that you see on the TV. And you think about how this is a desensitizing effect on us where we see things, we hear things, every sitcom, every show has people, you know, sleeping together and doing things they shouldn't be doing when they're not married, all that kind of stuff. That desensitizes us after a while. And what it does is it causes us to believe that sexual immorality is the norm, that it's natural, that it's okay. But the, the truth is it's not. Now, it may be normal for our society to engage in such behavior, but it's not the way God wants us to be. Just because it is popular, just because it's on every TV show, it's in every song, does not mean that it's okay to engage in that behavior. And what has happened is that there's even Christian groups, and I use that term loosely, who instead of fighting back against, you know, the teachings that are out there that are wrong, they embrace it. They support it. They go, well... It's normal now. Hey, there's even a TV show, The New Normal, right? I mean, it becomes the new normal where, okay, well, I knew that used to be looked down upon, but now, hey, that's just superficial. It's just natural desire. And they're embracing it. Lust of the flesh and sexual morality can take on many different forms. We know the different forms that it can take on, but ultimately, we need to control our desires and not let our desires control us. And what we've done, though, is we've allowed media, we've allowed television, we've allowed movies to just corrupt our minds into thinking that immorality is just natural. It's normal. It's okay. And the irony is, it is not. And we have some very far-reaching consequences. You know, the consequences on earth of immorality are pretty obvious. you got guilt. I mean, how many times have you seen you know, couples, you know, having the guilt of, okay, I've committed adultery, now how do I handle this situation? Or the guilt of knowing that you've done something wrong that you shouldn't have done. That that hurts, and it's hard to overcome that guilt. Now, obviously, with God's amazing grace that we've sung about, you can move past those feelings of guilt, move on to feelings of acceptance with God and follow Him. Anybody can be forgiven. I'm not saying you can't. But there is guilt that comes from sexual morality. Destroyed homes happen through it. You see destroyed careers happen when someone chooses a relationship uh, and there's you loses all kind of sense of reasoning and it, and it throws off the career. Disease can happen and there's also eternal consequences that are even more serious. In the book of James that we already looked at in James chapter 4 in verse 4, we find out that when you live a life of sexual morality, people stop dating. It says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I don't want to be God's enemy. And according to this passage here, when I go down the path of the world, what the world says is normal, what the world says is natural, I become God's enemy. I don't want that. And even more serious, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, you know, John knows us, we are to be like Jesus. We know what's going to happen in the end. And there we find out that those who live a life of immorality, and we need to quit, it says, but from cowardly, the unbelievers, the unabominable, the murderers, the immoral persons, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's got to be a shocker. That's just got to hurt, right? 
I mean, that should be a warning to us that, hey, although I might have cravings, I might have desires, I might have urges, there's a good way to fulfill them and a bad way to fulfill them. If I'm going down the bad way to fulfill different desires that I have, the end result is not good. So what's the solution then? What could we do? How do we fix the problem? It's simple. It's not easy to do, but the solution is a very simple solution. It's self-control. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We need to be people who control ourselves. We need to be people that control even, we work towards controlling our desires and not letting the desires control us. Now that's a maturing process. That doesn't come overnight. I mean, if you've trained yourself your entire life to think lustful thoughts and you see somebody of the opposite sex, you're not going to one day just go, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's going to take work. It will. If you've conditioned yourself to behave a certain way, maybe it's anger. You've conditioned yourself to just get ticked off really easy and lash out at people. That's your default mode. It's going to take time to overcome that. I'm not saying it's not. If you've made it, you know, your habit to allow whatever kind of desire you have to control you, where now you control, you can't handle food anymore, it handles you, or maybe addiction and alcohol, all of that, it's going to take time to work through that. Lord God's grace, you can. But we need to work towards self-control. Self-control needs to become natural for us. See, we have a whole lifetime of making other behaviors our normal, whether it be immorality, whether it be anger. Whether it be lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or pride of life. We have various behaviors that become our normal. They become natural for us. We have to work toward, though, unraveling those behaviors and make self-control our new normal. Make self-control our new natural. It's our go-to. It's our default mode. That needs to be the mode for us. Self-control needs to become natural. It's not always easy. It takes work. I mean, when we read here in 1 Corinthians, these are Christians, and they still were struggling with it. And I know that all of us, we're still going to struggle with various um, sinful cravings that we have. It's not easy to overcome them. But you can if you make self-control your new normal. Now, that's our point for our lesson today. Simply that. Let's be a people that are self-controlled. But before we sing our invitation song, I want to I want to mention something here. Next week in our sermon, we're going to be dealing with another topic that goes along with these lines. This this sermon here kind of set the stage for it. But next week, I want to deal with and we're going to deal with it from a very biblical standpoint, a very loving and kind way, too, as well. We're going to talk about homosexuality. We're going to talk about gay marriage, same sex attraction and things along those lines. But I announced it this Sunday to kind of give everybody a heads up. I'm going to be very careful with what terminology I use. I'm not going to use worldly trash crude terminology. But some people are at times uncomfortable with, um, you know, kids stealing different terms and, you know, and things like that. I'm going to allow my children to be in the lesson. I got kids from 2 to 12. 
I'm comfortable with them being in there, so maybe you can use that as a benchmark for your kids. But um, just in case that's something that might make you uncomfortable, I'm giving you a heads up that next Sunday, that's going to be our topic of study. I'm not going to change and read and read, and I'm not going to use terminology that's crass in any way, but I'm just giving you all a heads up that that's going to be our topic of study next Sunday. So please try to be here for that too. If that's something you've had questions about, and I know sometimes that that topic is a topic that people deal with in all sorts of weird ways. They deal with it in a very rude way. We shouldn't do that. And also they deal with it in maybe a everybody's okay, do whatever you want kind of mentality. We're going to try to find a biblical way to approach this topic. So be here for that next Sunday at 1045. But this morning we're going to close out our sermon time. I do want to give everybody an opportunity, though, if you're here and you're not a Christian and you want Christianity to be your new normal, you want it to be natural for you to be serving God, we can start today. We can baptize you in the fries. We've never been baptized. If you need to come back to God, you need prayer for the church. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. Our, our, our goal here at the Westside Family Church of Christ is to love our Lord, our community, and each other. We want to help each other get to heaven. We're not a perfect people, but we do 